turn, if you will, to Mark and give me, uh, dear sweetheart, get, raise your hand to stretch about 17 minutes, okay? She'll do it, I guarantee you. Mark is a, it's very interesting to me how the material is composed. He talks about divorce in the first part of the chapter. Is it ever right to remarry? Can you get a divorce and remarry? He, he deals with that subject. Then he deals with little children that seem to get on the disciples' nerves quite a bit. And they were always pushing them away. They were into crowd control because people were always pressing in on Jesus. Then he has an interview uh, with a young man that he said Jesus loved him. In verse 20, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And didn't, didn't have, have a lot of verses that just focus in like that. And Jesus uh, begins to answer his questions. What can you do to get eternal life? And he said, I, I've kept the law. I'm a law-abiding citizen. I'm a good Jew. And, uh, but Jesus knew what the real idol of his heart was. And so he touches upon his riches. He said, what you need to do is to sell your possessions and come and follow me like these guys running with me. But, of course, none of them were wealthy like you. And he said, if you follow me, divest yourself of your possessions, give them to the poor, you'll immediately get credit in heaven. You'll have treasures in heaven because you're investing in eternal things. Follow me, and you'll have eternal life. We have no other place he ever did this to a man. And uh, that would have been an easy command to me at 14 because I had nothing to divest of. But this man, Jesus knew he loved money more than he would ever find himself loving Christ. And so Christ, instead of uh, surrendering the terms and accommodating, because this is heaven or hell. This is, we never hear of this guy again. So it, he seems to be a man that goes to his grave having made the trade. I would rather have my bank account, my land, whatever my wealth is, I'd rather have that than to exchange it for you because I don't find that much worth in hanging out with you. And he made a choice. Well, after this, Jesus begins, the disciples are just astounded, and they, they start this discussion, can a rich man even get into heaven? And Jesus responds to them. He said, it is very difficult. Matter of fact, it's as hard as a camel going through the eye of a needle. And they said, well, it's impossible. He said, it is impossible with men. Only God can make a rich man find any worth in Jesus. That is astounding. God knows he can't save many people with money because they'd rather have their money than to have God. And so the rich man wakes up in hell and the poor man is comforted in bosom, the bosom of Abraham, and the rich man went to hell over his wealth. Astounding. 
And we know that in evangelism. When we go to the wealthy, they're the hardest to win because they have no felt needs. Uh, I don't need your food. I don't need clothes. Uh, you don't have anything I need. Say, so what about Jesus Christ? I can't see him. I can't count him. He's not tangible. I'm not into this religion stuff. And he's, they're off. Then Peter asked the question, Lord, we have left everything, and we are following you. And let me ask you a wonderful question out of the mouth of your beloved, wise disciple, Peter. What's in it for us? And I'm bothered by it. Wait, Peter, you got Jesus. Why would you ever ask? You remember what Paul said? I count everything rubbish that I may just get Jesus. Philippians 3. But listen to the dialogue now. Peter says in verse 28, We have left everything to follow you, Jesus. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel, me and the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. And Mark alone adds along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. I would simply make as the theme of this whole thing he's saying is what Jim Elliott, at 19 years of age, when he was a freshman at Wheaton, he wrote the famous missions words, famous life verses, when he wrote down, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You're going to lose everything you think you've got. Life, your mother, your father, children, everything that you possess in this life is in the process of dying and vanishing and going away, and ultimately we will bury you, and we won't bury you in a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. There are no pockets in that which we bury the dead in. You can't take it. Saved or unsaved, that's true. So all this money that you could use, this man used, say, that I cannot make the switch, and yet everything's going to go. But Jim Elliott said, I'm no fool to want to give up what I cannot keep to gain that which I cannot lose. And seven years, seven years from this date, he is speared to death in Ecuador with his four buddies that were flying with Missionary Aviation Fellowship within the jungles of Ecuador. And when his wife, is, he even consented he was going to be a eunuch. He loved Elizabeth, met her at Wheaton. But he said, for the missions and for the cause of Christ, I choose to be a eunuch. And he loved her. And they had a heart-wrenching parting of ways. I must go to the field. I cannot let marriage, I cannot let anything interfere. It was only when he went to the field, 
he found out she was working in another mission about 100 miles away. And so God allowed them to get married. But when she wrote the book, Through Gates of Splendor, in which she tells the story of the death of these five young men, gifted young men, outstanding young men, she wrote this in the beginning of the book of Through Gates of Splendor. Give of thy sons to bear the message glorious. Give of thy wealth to speed them on their way. Pour out thy soul for them in prayer victorious. And all thou spendest, Jesus will repay. Three things I get from this short narrative. One, God will never be a debtor to any man. No sacrifice for Jesus Christ will ever go unnoticed by God. Do you remember that crowd that said, Jesus, when did we ever see you naked and clothe you? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you? We, we don't ever, Jesus, we never got to see you. We did that in 1980. We did that in 1770. We never saw the tangible Jesus, the physical Jesus. When did you do it? You did it when you helped one of my children. When you clothe them, and it's a powerful statement in Matthew 25, it's most likely Jews fleeing in the persecution of the tribulation. Because said, these my brethren you help. It's probably Jesus referring to his own kin after the Jewish race, especially. But all the way for 2,000 years, anything you do for one of my children, you, he said, if you give them a cup of cold water in my name, you will not lose your reward. Have you given anything in Jesus' name? Do you do anything in his name? He says, if you do, believe me, I will see to it that you are compensated one way or the other in treasures above, in the peace of God within, and I can even bless you financially. I can bless you any way I want. You never incur a debt when you get it from grace. You see, here's something you must know. Grace never incurs a debt. I am not in debt to God. Did you know that? You don't know it. You're shocked that I said it. I am not in debt to God. You know why? That would infer I could pay it off. And what I got, I got by grace. I am not in debt. Did you hear me? Devil, did you hear me? I didn't earn this salvation, so I can't lose it. I didn't earn it. I said, well, well, you sinned pretty bad. Well, that's what he paid for. Jesus paid it all to him. I owe my whole life. But grace never incurs a debt. That means God gave to you what he's given you freely, but in the matter of service. Peter, I want you men to know you have not followed me in vain. Peter had no, he had no concept that one day one of the largest cathedrals in the world would be named after him. Someone said, we name our dogs after Nero. We name our sons after the apostles. I'll take care of it too. He said, I'll reward you. Anything you do for the gospel or for me, I will see to it you're rewarded. Now, I'm a little astounded 
with all they said in this present life because they never did die with big land holdings, any of these disciples. They divested. I mean, Peter is crucified upside down. Paul dies in a prison. Huh. I mean, you want to read them for health and wealth gospel, friend. You, you don't want that, the rest of the story. They're not health and wealth. But do they have any presence? Did they pick up any brothers, any sisters, any mothers? Just think of Peter, the devout Jew that wouldn't mess and touch a Gentile dog is having lasagna down at Cornelia's house. The first Gentile that got in the family was an Italian boy in the Roman Legion. And they ate a meal together because God pulled down a sheet from heaven and said, you're going to eat Peter with Cornelius, and you're going to baptize him and see the first Gentile convert come into the family, a boy probably born in Rome serving the emperor you're going to go in there and don't call unclean what I call clean. He started gaining the whole Gentile world as his brothers and sisters because everybody in Christ is a relative. He's no fool to follow Christ. You've never made a sacrifice for it. One time, David Livingston was being interviewed at a missions convention, and they said, oh, David, the great sacrifice, and as he took the podium, I've never made a sacrifice in my life for Jesus Christ. I've gained far more than I ever gave up. If Deborah and Sean are going out for the name, if they're going out for the gospel, not just to go bass fishing. Not just to water ski. God said, I'll make it up to you. I'll, I'll settle the books. I'll settle the books. Corey Ten Boom had a saying she made famous after she watched her father and her sister Liz die in Hitler's concentration camps, and they, they were a Swiss family that hid Jews that were being pursued by Hitler, and so they, they had Jewish people hid all over their house in secret doors, secret hiding place, secret uh, basements, everything to save Jewish people. Well, the SS finally found them out, watched their house, moved in, arrested uh, her father arrested her sis and her. They were watchmakers. She said, I watched my dad die within weeks in the camp, but my sister Liz held out longer. She was the youngest. But eventually I saw her start dying from starvation, the beatings, the cold, the abuse. And I finally lost her, but the Allied forces got there in time that Corey was set free. And when she went on the road, she said these words, I learned to hold loosely to everything in my hand, for I know they can all be gone in a day. 
hold loosely, hold loosely to the things of this life. We heard Chuck Lottie talking to the men yesterday. My job became my worth, became my idol. Pretty soon it owned me. I didn't own it. I lived for the company. The company kept me from the service I wanted to, and God did him a great big favor. They laid him off. And the miracle has been how God has sustained him since. What owned you? Would you leave if Jesus had leave? Would you go? Would you serve? One thing I find, it's easier to get people to leave our area because there's easier areas than to come to it and be evangelists on fire for God. They come to the Bay Area to make money. They don't come to the Bay Area to evangelize. God said, if you make a sacrifice, I'll pay it back. I got two minutes allowance. Okay, honey, that's, you've done your duty. He finally says, the first shall be last and the last first. You know what that verse means? You're going to be surprised at who gets rewards in heaven. He's letting Peter know, I'm going to keep the books. And Peter, those first in possessions, first in position, first in line, won't necessarily get first in rewards. I'll reward the widow's might. I'll reward a lone Sunday school teacher that never gets on the platform. You see, I'm keeping record of every sacrifice every servant of mine's ever made. And on that day, you're going to be surprised at how the books are flipped. And that's where in Matthew 19, the story's told. But in chapter 20, he tells the story of hiring the servants in the morning. And he agrees with the guys early in the morning for pay, one denarius, common working man's pay. But at noon, he saw he needed some more workers in the field, and he hires them, and guess what he decides to pay them? One denarius. The morning crowd said, that's unfair. You're paying them the same as you're paying us. He said, what, what concern is that to you? I mean, I just think of it. Why does a low-down thief get to go to straight to paradise and Peter winds up being crucified? You, you can't just, he never gave an offering. He has no receipt in heaven that he gave anything to Valley. And he just flew right into paradise in one day. Who does God think he is? God. We tell my grandfather, who was an honorary man, Grandfather Howard, grew up in Hell's Bend, Oklahoma, outlaws and Indians, 1880 he was born. Mean times, hard times. They would hang men. They, would, they were the law to themselves, five Howard men. They don't mess, bad, bad, bad. And my grandfather was honorary. My grandmother said he received Christ in the last two weeks of his life. I wasn't there. I don't know. My father went over to see his mother when she called and said, Dad just died. He went there. 
when my father came home, he sat around the table and he said, well, I think dad just got his penny. And we know what he's talking about. My grandfather, 74, 70, got his penny. Well, I think he just got eternal life. He's been honoring all of his life. I fled him when I was 14. But it sounds to me like the cross may have given him his penny. He got eternal life. The last two weeks, two Moravians, two German, the German sect called the Moravians, coming out of Hernut, Germany. They uh, were a great group. John Wesley came to America to be a missionary while being unsaved. And in an Atlantic storm, when the ship was about to go under, he saw the peace among the Moravians. They sang hymns. They quoted psalms. They were all together. He was panic-stricken. Not saved, came as a religious man, <clears throat> but he wasn't saved. When he went back to London, he went to Peter Bowler, one of the Moravians who led him to Christ. But um, two young Moravians heard of a man that was an atheist who owned an island in the West Indies and owned two to 3,000 African slaves to work in his sugarcane fields. And uh, these fellas, uh, they knew this is what the atheists had said. No preacher, no clergyman will ever stay on this island. If he's shipwrecked, we'll keep him in a separate house until he has to leave. But he's never going to talk to any of us about God. I'm through with all that nonsense. 3,000 slaves from the jungles of Africa brought to an island in the Atlantic and there to live and die without hearing of Christ. Two young Germans in their 20s from the Moravians, said, we will sell ourselves at the price of a male slave. So they sold themselves to the atheist slave owner. They said, we'll sell ourselves, we'll work in the sugarcane fields, but by night we will evangelize these people. We will evangelize them. This island will be evangelized even if we're on the slave-driven crew under a hostile master. But when their mother and fathers and the Moravian congregation saw them down to the port and were saying goodbye, the family was emotional. They were weeping. They were asking, is this sacrifice wise? Was it necessary? By the time the ship was going away from the shore, leaving the pier, as it slipped out of the harbor and got further, they could see the two young men take arms, grasp hands, and this is what they said. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. We are going that the lamb might receive payment for his sufferings. And we think 3,000 slaves on an island deserve to know a lamb was slain for them. I ask you, young people, you want an ambition? Don't let it be money. It won't satisfy. Don't let it be fame. Don't let it be drugs. Don't let it be sex. It will just leave you wasted, unfulfilled, and 
beginning to say, why did I waste my youth on chasing such stupid folly? Why don't you do something for Jesus? Why don't you say, if it's for Jesus, I'll go anywhere. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Have you given yourself to the cause of Christ, even you adults? Are you just marking time? Attend the service. Put in token service. God knows you, just like Isaiah, they come close with their lips, but their hearts aren't with me. They love the company. They love money. They love sex. They love pleasure. They love everything for themselves, and a whole generation can perish because we're crying for laborers in this harvest. He'll give you your penny at the end of the day, but much more. To gain one Jesus is worth more than a million worlds. Who are you giving yourself to? Our Father, let us be willing to make whatever sacrifice you want to follow Jesus, for he's the greatest of masters. He's the greatest of all. To have eternal life and then to have him be Lord of our life, giving us peace, provision, guidance, watching over us. Oh, Father, help us to be loyal followers of the Lamb. And may we be sure that his death was not in vain, for we will make it known, make it known in the power of his name. Please do this for us. In Jesus' name, amen.